0: communityoxford.com, or check us out on social media via Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Again, thank you for joining us today at the Community Church Oxford Podcast. Good morning. 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 If you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Romans, the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3 this morning, Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at the first 20 verses. Uh, We are still in our journey in Paul's letter to the Romans, and uh, we're titling this series, We Shall Live by Faith. We Shall Live by Faith. And so this morning in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, let's know what God's Word says. Then what advantage has the Jew? or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness or faithlessness, excuse me, nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true through everyone, true though though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you're a judge. But if, in your, but, if I, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way, by no means, for then how could God judge the world?" But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of the asp, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So it starts out this text by saying, what advantage? What advantage? Then what advantage has the Jews? Church, I would say that I would go a step further today. What advantage do we have? What advantage do we have as, as, as the people of God, as many would call us? I think we would call ourselves the people of God. And so therefore, I ask you this question. I ask you this question because I want to know. What advantage do we have? Well, the reason this question is being asked, because if you were with us last week, we looked at, we looked at chapter 2. And in chapter 2, it talked about these different things. Well, let's just go back at it and just glance at it just for a second. We go back and look at this idea of circumcision. We also go back to this idea of being a Jew. And, and what we realized was is that the Jews were the people who were giving the law of God. And as they were given the law of God, they had to understand hear me church, they had to understand that the law was given to them to abide by it. They were given the law as this opportunity and as this, um, this privilege to be able to be given a law to know what God's ideal was for their life. They would go on further and they would use circumcision, or actually circumcision came before that, and they would use circumcision as a almost as a symbol of them being right before man and before God. And what we realized last week was is unless you circumcise the heart, make sure you don't miss this, unless the heart is circumcised, unless the heart has been cut to the core of yourself, and the heart has changed, law and circumcision does nothing. Because you see, man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. So we dive into this text this morning and it says, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? And so here's what I would say to you this morning. What advantage then has a Jew? Paul has carefully explained in Romans 2 that the possession of the law or circumcision will not save a Jewish person. If this is the case, then what is the advantage of being God's chosen nation? After all, there is no partiality. Remember Romans 2.11 from last week? There is no partiality with God. What good is it to be Jewish? Go back with me to verse 2. Well, let's repeat verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew or what is the value of circumcision? Look at verse 2. Much in every way to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. To put it in layman terms, or put it in every guy, every man's terms, like me, just good old folks terms, like, and what we'll find out is none of us are good, but just old country boy terms is this: they had the word of God. What do you mean? What advantage do they have? They were the very first people to be given the word of God. But church, I would say this to you this morning: what advantage do we have? Most of us have three or four copies of God's word in our church and in our houses how often do we pick them up true story i'm sitting with a gentleman that i work with about 10 or 12 weeks out of the year usually in the fall and we were talking yesterday and he's in his 60s and he told me he said fish i am going through god's word from beginning to end he says i've never done that before but it's never too late i said amen It's never too late to go from cover to cover in the Bible. Let me just share something with you. When you get to heaven, God's not going to give you a special star because you read from Genesis to Revelation. But I will say this, if you read God's Word, it will become a lamp unto your feet. It will become a light to your path. It will be that which you are judged by. But church, I am convinced this morning that too many of us have the Word and we do nothing with it. Too many of us have the Word, and we don't even memorize it. I'm guilty of that. I believe many of us in this room are guilty of that. So the question this morning is, what advantage has the Jew? From EnduringWord.com, it goes on and says, What advantage then has a Jew? Much in every way. Paul knows that there are many advantages God gave to the Jewish people. In particular, he entrusted them with the oracles of God, which speaks to God's written revelation before the time of Jesus. He gave the Jewish people his word, and that is an indescribable gift. This was their prime privilege that there were there there were God's library keepers. They were the word keepers. That is a heavenly treasure that too often they didn't take credit for having. So as we look at this text this morning, then what advantage has the Jew or what value of circumcision? Much, is every, much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Then look at verse 3 and 4 with me. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true through everyone were a liar, as it is written, they, that you may be justified in your work in your words and prevail when you are judged. Spurgeon, if you don't know who Spurgeon is, he's a pretty smart dude that happens to be dead. And you're going, why are you pointing that out? I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how intelligent you think you are. I don't care how rich you are. We will all die. And before death comes this thing called judgment. You know, we don't talk about that in the church often enough because we think all will safely get there in their right time. And I will say this, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you will get there at the right time. But if you have not, hear me, hear me, church, you will be separated from God. I know that's, I know that, that's not uh, encouraging news this morning, but if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I hope it is encouraging to you. Listen to what it says Spurgeon goes on and says, Let God be true, but every man is a liar. You might be sitting here today as I, as I read that this week, I'm like, man, I'm not a liar. And then I took a breath. I took a breath. Hear me church, I took a breath and it didn't take long for that which was in my heart to come to my head and to remind me, "Oh yes, you are." Oh yes, you are. You tell me all the time, fit, you tell me all the time, fish that you're not going to go back and do that again and you keep going back to it. You tell me all the time, fish, that you're gonna do this different this time, and you keep doing the same old, same old over and over and over again. Sound familiar? By the way, I'm not judging you, I'm judging myself. But as Daddy used to say, if the shoe fits, wear it. Why is that so true to us? Because usually it's true because it resonates. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means, Paul says. Let God be true through everyone were a liar as it is written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. It's a strange, strong expression, Spurgeon says, but it is none too strong. If God says one thing and every man in the world says another, God is true. And all men are false. God speaks the truth and cannot lie. God cannot change. His word, like himself, is immutable. We are to believe God's truth if nobody else believes it. The general consensus, Spurgeon says, of opinion is nothing to a Christian. He believes God's word. He thinks more of that than the universal opinion of men. And so here's what I'm going to ask you this morning, church. Is that true in your life? Is that true in your life? Do you listen to man or do you listen to God? And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And our heart of hearts are like, man, I listen to God. I listen to God. Do you now? Because your life is if you're trying to be like the man. Your life is if you're continuing to compare yourself to the man. But we say, but God's word is true. Is it? You want me to make us all liars? You want me to point out the fact? I'm not making us liars. You want me to point out the fact that we're all liars? We say that we love God with our lips, but our actions are far away from him. Because you see, church, if you love God, you got to love His people. And if you love God, you got to do what His Word says. And you don't have to just kind of go through the motions of it. you got to actually live it. Like, you see, the, 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 the reality is, is this, is that what advantage does it you have? They had God's Word. Believer in this room today or watching online, what advantage do you have? You have the Word of God. So what advantage do we have versus the rest of the world? I know that we kind of come to the same place and hang out with the same people and drink the same Kool-Aid and eat the same cookies. But church, will you hear me for a second? I don't think we realize that the lostness of this world outnumbers us 10 to 1 on most days. And we have an advantage. We know the end of the story. We win. No matter what man says, no matter what politicians say, I want to talk about lying. And I know some of you are going, oh, he's going to try to be political. I'm not going to be political. They both are liars. And you know what? That just hit a nerve with some of y'all, and I don't care (laughs) because I'm not worried about what man thinks. I'm worried about what God's Word says. Look at with me at verses 5 and 6, and I'll go ahead and tell you, R.C. Sprouls is going to get all the glory for this commentary of these two verses. Look at 5 and 6. For, but if our righteousness serves to show the righteousness of God... But if our excuse me, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? And then I love how the ESV puts in parentheses here: I speak in a human way, by no means. For then, how could God judge the world? Even when we sin, our unrighteousness indirectly bears witness to the righteousness of God. How would we ever recognize sin for what it is if we did not have the standard by which to judge it? R.C. Sproul says, how, hear me church, how would we ever recognize the sin for what it is if we did not have a standard by which which to judge it? Nobody is really a relativist. See, you know, you know it was a smart guy that said that because I never would have in- put that word right there. Nobody is really a relative. The culture claims to be morally relative, yet the person who says that they are, there is no morality is the first one to scream foul when somebody steals his wallet. Sproul goes on and says, we know better than that, but we excuse our sinfulness and say, after all, boys will be boys. To err is human, and to forgive is divine. Everybody is entitled to one mistake. You're exactly right. Everybody's entitled to one mistake. The problem is, is that we've all screwed up so many times, we can't even count that high. 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Hey, look, it ain't 99. It's a whole lot more than that. And some of you are going to walk out of here and say, man, he says if I drink beer, I'm going to hell. That is not what I said. I'll say as they said at the debate, play the tape! (laughs) Everybody's entitled to one mistake, R.C. Sproul says. We have the moral entitlement program in our culture, but God does not entitle us to any mistakes, not to one. Not to one sin. You see, church, on Thursdays, we're doing our evangelism class. And a few blessed souls have decided to gather with us on Thursday because they want to take sharing their faith to a new level. And what we're doing in this class is we're sharing over and over and over again our experiences of of the good news. The good news. And then we're talking about how sin leads to brokenness. So we start out with God's design and then sin leads to brokenness. But when you turn from brokenness or you repent and you turn to the gospel, which is the good news, do you know that the word gospel actually means good news? Then and only then can you recover and rediscover what God's plan is for your life. But you know what we share in this this class? is we keep having to look at our past. See, church, we got to look at the bad news so we can know what the good news is. we got to look at the bad news to understand what the good news really is. You see, what Paul is saying here in verses 5 and 6 is this. So I'll repeat it to you. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? Everybody's entitled to one mistake. Look at Romans 3, 7 through 8. 7 through 8, look at verse 7. But if though my lie. But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just. Listen to what Sproul says. That will be the cry of Judas on the last day. Listen to this. Remember who Judas was, right? Right? sold Jesus over for a bag of silver. Remember that guy? And I don't know why we throw this dude under the bus and run over him and back back over him and then run back over him because you know what? We sell out Jesus every single day of our lives. You know why? Because man is a liar. God's word is the only thing that's true. You're saying, preacher, you preaching hard this morning. I ain't even gotten warmed up yet. Why is that so important? Because what we realize is, is that Judas will cry this on the last day. Why are you picking on me? And can I tell you something, church? I'm so guilty of that. When I'm dealing with my junk, and if if you're misinterpreting what I'm talking about, my junk, when I'm dealing with my sin in my life, why is God picking on me? Paul goes on and says, he'll say, why are you picking on me? The best thing that ever happened to the world was the crucifixion of Jesus. If it were not for me, you would have no atonement. You people should be thanking me that I fulfilled the scripture and delivered him into the hands of the Gentiles. Why am I judged as a sinner? Is that not verse seven right there in Romans chapter seven? Listen to what it says again. But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? I don't know if you know this or not, but I know people all over this room, including myself, that it was their sin that led them to righteousness. It was their sin that opened their eyes that they were lost and they were dead and they were headed to hell. It was their sin that made them realize that they needed saving. Yes, church, your sin can point you to a good thing, but that doesn't mean that we keep on sinning just so that God's grace may abound or that God might get credit again for saving some fool which I am the greatest of them all. You want to know what the definition of a fool is? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Guilty. True story. I'm, I'm, I'm up on a 16-foot ladder this morning because last week the bulb went out in that projector, and yesterday Chad and myself and Caleb and Garrett And Deshaun worked on getting that done, and we had to get it refocused this morning. I'm up on that 16-foot ladder, and and, man, I'm just sitting there thinking, man, if I fall, I hope I die. And you're going, why would you think that way? Because if I fall and I don't die, that means I'm going to have to feel it. (laughs) And church, I'm convinced this morning that too many times we deal with sin and we struggle with sin, but we don't want to have to deal with it. Somebody had to. That's what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. Listen to verse eight. And why do? And why do? And why not do evil that God may come? If some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just, Paul never denied God's law. He always understood the proper relationship between God's law and the gospel of God. There is no room in Paul's theology that the carnal Christian, one who takes Christ as a savior but does not take him as Lord. Sproul goes on and says, that would be nonsense to the apostle. We cannot put the slander at his feet. He never said, let us do evil that good may come. Paul never entertained the idea that the end justifies the means. Rather, he said their condemnation is just. So we're only to verse 8. So let me tell you how Charles Swindoll breaks it down. Religion versus grace. I don't think you're ready for this. Religion versus grace. Jewish readers, Paul's Jewish readers objected to the doctrine of justification by grace through faith. For the same reasons all human-empowered religions protest. Swindle goes on and says, First, God's unmerited favor releases the individual from religious control. I'll say it again. God's unmerited favor releases individual from religious control. Second, grace removes religion as a means by which a person maintains a relationship with God. Don't you love the church says do this and the church says do this? And the problem is is that they're putting these unbelievable uh, 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 chains on us that they can't even uphold themselves. Church, can I tell you something? If you're looking for a church and you don't have a church home, and and make sure you hear this, we don't need you to bring your garbage from your church to our church. We got enough garbage up in here. And the ones that are laughing are actually honest with themselves. The rest of y'all need to wake up. But seriously, if you don't have a church home and you're looking for a church home, we're not trying to put more problems on you. We're trying to give you more solutions, and the solution is love God and love people. And if you love God, you're going to love His Word. And if you love His Word, His Word will not lie. But hear me, church. And, and I know some of you are here today and you're like, I'm coming because the church hurt me. You don't think this church will hurt you? Stay around long enough, see what happens. You know why? Because the church is made up of people. And you know what people equals? Screwed up individuals. People with major Problems sinners, hopefully saved by grace, through faith. And if not, you're a Pharisee and a Sadducee standing on the outside going, look at them. Oh yeah, look at us. That was a whole different thing, not sure where I was going. Let me get back. Swindoll says that second, grace removes religion as a means by which a person maintains a relationship with God. And third, grace completely changes the purpose of good deeds in a life of a believer. Consequently, grace renders religions obsolete and ineffective, which is bad news for those who derive their power and purpose or livelihood from religious followers. You know what that's saying? You really don't need a preacher to lead you. God's Word will lead you itself. God's Holy Spirit will lead you Himself. You really don't need me. I just happen to be a crutch in your life right now till you can figure out how to do it on your own. So maybe you're saying, you're trying to put yourself out of job. If that puts me out of jo- a job, praise God, because the world is going to come to know Christ. And can I tell you something? Jesus will be back a whole lot quicker than anticipated. And I know some of y'all, oh, he's coming back, man. The world, the world is, is, is bad, man. And man, man we're, we're in trouble. We've been in trouble for thousands of years. You know why? Because of sin. And this is what we are. His sin, her sin. Uh Uh-uh. Look in the mirror. Your sin. My sin. Because grace profoundly affects how we relate to God, grace also changes how we think and live. Specifically, receiving God's grace determines how we handle our possessions and how we conduct our lives and how we regard ourselves. So namely, only a few, Swindoll says, Religion and grace send conflicting messages. In regard to our possessions, listen to this church, religion says, continually strive to earn God's favor, because enough is never quite enough. Ain't you tired of that? Aren't you tired of that? Keep striving. Keep trying to earn God's favor. Grace says you already have God's favor. His grace is enough never qu- His grace is enough, and it is sufficient. And how we regard ourselves, religion says I'm a good person because of what I've accomplished. Look at me. Can I just break it down? I looked at myself in the mirror and I was ugly. I hope you got your big girl pants on this morning, your big boy pants on this morning. Can I just be honest with you? Based on your sin in your life, you're ugly too. Some of you are going to go, my preacher called me ugly, man. I must really be ugly. I got glasses on. I can't even see with them. Relax. Religion says I'm a good person because of what I've accomplished. Look at me. Grace says I'm a sinner who has been given the righteousness of God. Look at Christ. You don't get anything else. Get that. As you examine your life, how you handle your possessions, what drives your actions, how you regard yourself, which voice do you hear and heed? Do you daily answer the call of religion and then strive for acceptance, or do you accept the invitation of God and then rest in that relationship? Receiving God's grace begins with the most unnatural choice for natural humanity. We must admit our helplessness and accept His supernatural intervention daily. So why is man a liar? Because man does it his way. Why is God's word true? Because if you'll do it God's way, I promise you, you will be released from so much junk and so much garbage and so much expectations in your life because it's not about you, it's about Jesus. Let's look at verses 9 through 18. I got to preach fast. What then? Here it is again, second time in this passage. What then are we Jews any better off? They use their tongues to deceive their venom and aspen under their lips. Their their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift and shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. Listen to verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You would have thought that that was written in October of 2020 instead of in the Psalms. Because that's what Paul's doing. He is quoting the Psalms right there. He is quoting some thousand years before Christ, those words. Many passages of both Old and New Testament bless the righteous and distinguish distinguish them from the sinners. Throughout the relationship with Israel, righteousness was held out as a real possibility. People like Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Elijah, Daniel, Esther. Oh, by the way, Esther was a prostitute. You're going, why you got to bring that up? Because if you think you're in bad place this morning, if God can save her, God can save you too. Just letting you know. Because I believe we might have some haters in the house this morning. We might have some people watching online this morning saying, "God ain't good. God's not good enough for me. Oh, God's all you got, so you better figure it out now before later. But people like these thought that righteous was was almost a possibility, and many others were either specifically called righteous or treated by biblical writers as such, not because they perfectly kept the law, but because their hearts were inclined toward God, and they served Him well. They believe God did the works of the righteousness, Chris Tigreen says. We have to understand this context, Tigreen says, in relative human terms, some people have a heart for God and others don't. Some seek to obey Him, however imperfectly others turn away from Him. Within this spectrum, some people are righteous and others are not. But the bigger picture is not when we compare people to people, but when we compare people with God. No one measures up, everyone is fallen. So when we look at verses 8, or excuse me, verses 9 through 18, and we go, oh my goodness. Both Jews and Greeks are understand, as, uh, under, are understand as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside together and have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And we're like, then why do we even try? There's no hope. I'm just doomed. In one of my first sermons that I ever preached, I said, man, you got so much sin in your life. You're like a bobsled headed to hell. Even, though, even those who were righteous in relative terms recognized their own sinfulness depends on God's grace. They knew the real truth behind their righteousness. They loved God, but they were fundamentally flawed. Every human being is. You know one of the greatest joys I have as a pastor? First of all, I get to be the pastor of this church. And I'm not just saying that because you're standing in front of me. You know why I love this church so much? You start walking around around here like you somebody. Number one, God's going to probably humble you first, but if God doesn't get to you quick enough, there are going to be some other folks that bring you back down to earth. I also love the fact... That we have a staff and we have elders and we have people that gather here on a weekly basis and serve our children and our youth and our college students and our families. And you know what? They're not doing it for recognition. They're doing it because they just want to try to be more like Jesus. The other thing I love about this church is is when people walks up to me, people walk up to me and say, Hey man, you got a whole bunch of messed up people go to your church, don't you? I said, amen, you met their pastor? And I have people honestly say this to me, T. You're the pastor, right? Yes. Undoubtedly, you don't know me if you don't realize I'm messed up. But what we see here and what Ty Green says here about this text, verses 9 through 18, even those who were righteous in relative terms recognized their own sinfulness and depended on God's grace. They knew the real truth behind their righteousness. They loved God, but they were fundamentally flawed, as every human being is. So in closing, we have two questions. We got two more verses this morning to look at. And we have two questions that come from those verses. Look at verses 19 and 20 with me. Now we know that whatever the law says, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. You ever been talking to somebody and you're just like, man, I just wish that they would be quiet. Or you say that word that I can't say at my house. I just wish they would shut up. Like, I just wish they would stop. I just wish they would be quiet. I love this verse. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under law, so that every mouth may be stopped. You know what this verse is saying to us, church? Eventually, you're going to quit talking. And you're going to start Walking. I'm going to say that a little slower because I'm going to make sure I didn't miss that. Eventually, you and I are going to quit talking, and we're going to start walking. Here's the two questions. Well, I might ought to finish these verses, huh? Look at verse 20. For by the works of law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. I wish we had time, but we don't. We'll finish up chapter 3 next week. The first question is this. How can God judge people who have never heard of His law and had no opportunity to live up to His standards? Seriously, church, we're coming to a pivotal transition in Romans chapter 3. And up to this point, the first question would be, how can God judge people who've never heard of His law and had no opportunity to live up to His standards? You know what Tigrane would say? Paul insists that anyone can know God exists simply by being observant. Simply by being observant. But even those who recognize him in creation or in their own hearts have chosen to defy him. You know what the that first question is? It's an excuse. Well, why would God do this, or how could God do this? Every mouth may be stopped, that the whole world may be held accountable to God. The second question is this If a faithful, law abiding Jew is still not right before God and therefore disqualified from God's promises, doesn't that mean God has lied? Not possible. Hasn't he just played the Jews for fools all this time in their attempt to follow him were never going to lead to true righteousness? Paul answers. Paul's answer is that Jews were entrusted as stewards of the revelation, which is an enormous privilege to put it in layman's terms. They were giving God's word and they didn't obey it. Oh yeah, they honored him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. And No, God's promises were not carrots dangled from a stick. They will be and directly be, bef- are, are directly being already fulfilled. But church, here is the thing that I want you to get. Here's the point I want you to get. If you don't get anything else, I believe this is what God wants us to hear this morning. But Jews have to change the way they think and the way they approach God to really enter into them. We sang a song right before I got up to preach. It says, God's promises are yes and amen. And they are when you obey them. But you can't have one foot in and one foot out, you can't just be talking without walking. You can't say, well, I'm better than he is. Well, not being funny, everybody's better than he is. (laughs) Because I don't know if you know this or not, usually the person we pick out is the worst dude on the planet. And I'll say this to you, church. If I was your standard, if I was the standard that gets us into heaven, everybody in this room, Brother, from you all the way around, all the way through the band, back to whoever would be okay. But I'm not the standard. Jesus is. So the same way the Jews, even though they tried hard, tried to seek righteousness through the law and failed if we're not careful new testament believer if we're not careful person who's understood that their faith must be through grace by faith in christ jesus and you've got to believe the whole gospel the birth of christ the life of christ the death of christ and the resurrection of christ because the gospel is this is that jesus had to die And Jesus had to be buried, but Jesus also overcame the grave. And church, that is a paradigm shift because it's not what you do that gets you into heaven. It's what's already been done. So yes, as we look at this news, we're like, oh my goodness, Paul, could it get any worse? Paul said, yeah, absolutely it could. You could reject it. Or you could accept it. The band's about to lead us in a closing song called Build My Life. In church, I just want to remind you Charles Swindoll's reminder that there's a difference between religion and grace. Religion will lead you to a lot of places. Grace will only lead you to one. Religion will require a lot of you. Grace just wants your heart. And you're going, but preacher, you don't know me. And my response would be to you, you don't know me. But no, preacher, I'm talking, you don't know what I've done. God does not care. Whatever it is you think you've done that causes you not to be lovable by God, God, can I tell you something, church? That's religion telling you that God's not good enough for that. Grace is telling you that His grace is sufficient. No, not one is good amongst God's fallen people, but the one that is good is Jesus. And that's what you get when you get grace. You get grace. Jesus. So church, here's my prayer. Here's our heartbeat this morning that you would build your life on Jesus and not on religion, that you would build your life and your family on Jesus and not on religion, that you would build everything you got on Jesus and not on man. Because church, man is a liar. God is truth. Father, I beg you this morning, with every breath of my being. God, I was so unworthy to preach this sermon. God, I'm a piece of junk. But there's grace for that. God, I'm a sinner. But there's grace for that. God, I beg you this morning for he or she that is watching For young or old in this place, that for too many years they've been religious. But today they're going to experience grace for the very first time. God, may this be the day of salvation. And may we build our life on that. In Jesus' name. My name is Fish Robinson. I'm the lead pastor here at Community Church Oxford. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Community Church Oxford podcast. We hope that you'll consider joining us again in the future. Until then, God bless.